Greetings and welcome to the Uncensored Humanity Podcast. If you're new to the show, this is a long-form podcast where I sit down with guests and we just have a conversation. Now, these conversations are not scripted. They are raw and real. There's no editing. So wherever they go, they go. So hopefully you guys will enjoy the conversations as much as I know that I will. This episode is brought to us by Mike the Strongman. Are you tired of getting your training and nutrition advice from someone with only a weekend certification? Then perhaps it's time to turn to someone with over 15 years of research-based experience. Mike the Strongman can help you with all your training and nutrition needs. Mike has a proven track record of getting results with his clients. Visit MikeTheStrongMan.com for more information or email Mike at MikeTheStrongMan at gmail.com if you're ready to take your performance to the next level. This episode is also brought to us by the Healthiest You Chiropractic Center. The Healthiest You Chiropractic Center in Strongsville, Ohio is dedicated to giving their patient community the highest level of healthcare. Their doctors have been trained on the newest and most innovative styles of chiropractic and rehabilitative treatments. From back pain to ankle strains, the Healthiest You has remedies for a variety of injuries. Are you looking to perform better in life and activity? Their team takes a wellness-based approach on health rather than only focusing on symptoms such as pain. Call 440-238-3338 or email them at thychiro, that's T-H-Y-C-H-I-R-O, at gmail.com for questions about becoming a patient. Now is a better time than ever to become the healthiest you. And last but not least, this episode is brought to us by CrossFit Strongsville. CrossFit Strongsville is a place where everyday people become heroes every day. Through qualified coaching, challenging yet modifiable exercise programming, and a supportive community unlike any other, members find a way to break through personal barriers physically, mentally, and emotionally. No matter what level you're at, from the very beginner to the elite, you'll find you receive great service from the moment you walk through the door, and we promise it will be one of the best hours of your day. Check out CrossFitStrongsville.com for more information and to sign up for a free one-on-one consultation with the owner, a 12-year veteran of the fitness and therapy fields. All right, let's get started here. Uh, Today, we got a chance to sit down with Mike Walker of Mike the Strongman Nutrition. Mike is a great friend of mine. I was really excited to talk to him. I think he's going to be one of our more regular guests, and that's good because he has a wealth of knowledge about training and nutrition and he's, he's very well educated. He understands the science behind a lot of this stuff. And we can really get in the weeds. And, and I just I love talking to him. And we, we always have fun when we get together. So I really hope that you guys enjoy our conversation. So sit back, strap in, and enjoy our conversation. Greetings and welcome to the very first episode of the Uncensored Humanity Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Hess, and today we're with a very good friend of mine, a special guest, Mike the Strongman, Mr. Mike Walker himself. How are you doing, Mike? I'm doing well. How about yourself, Matt? I'm doing great. So, Mike and I actually have already recorded this episode, but uh, we were just discussing um, I screwed up all my audio equipment the last time, so we're re-recording it for you guys this time because this time we might actually sound pretty good while we're doing it. The last time was a little rough as I was still trying to figure all this kind of stuff out. So we're going to just kind of go ahead and get into kind of who Mike is and um, what he does, because hopefully he's going to be one of our special guests here on here pretty recent, uh, regularly, I'll say not recently, 
and uh, we'll kind of just get to know Mike a little bit. So, so Mike and I got to, uh, we've known each other for what three, four years now. Yeah, at least something like that. There. So we did uh, Olympic weightlifting together, mm-hmm. and uh, Mike has always kind of been the nutrition guru at the gym, and now he's kind of off doing his own thing, and he's not really doing. You're not doing lifting anymore, right? Not I mean, just com- general lifting. Not but. competitively. No, yeah. not with not with Olympic lifting. But I'll I'll dive into some of my plans for my training here in a little bit. Very so. cool. And then Mike uh, started uh, his own business, a so Mike the Strongman Nutrition. Mm-hmm. And um, what kind of clients do you work with there? So you know, there's kind of a couple of different entities and stuff to that actual aspect. So Mike the Strongman is definitely more Olympic lifting, CrossFit, more the weightlifter kind of area and arena. You know, a lot of times it's weight cuts, you know, to make competition weights, to, to lean out are some of the, probably the bigger ones I deal with, you know, the occasional bulking person, you know, some of the people at, at uh, rubber city weightlifting, you know, I've worked with in the past on bulks because, you know, they're, they're kind of hitting that stride where they need to go up in weight class and they need to, you know, put on some quality mass and quality strength. Yeah. And so, for, for those, sorry, for those of you who don't know, rubber city weightlifting is a team that I lift for. It's a team that Mike and I met on. It's one actually, Mike is one of the founding members of that team. Yeah. And I was the uh, assistant coach there for four or five years, something like four that. Years, something yeah. like that. So, you know, it was good because I definitely got the access to a lot of people, you know, a lot of different backgrounds and stuff. So helped me kind of, you know, even sharpen the blade more, so to speak. But, you know, that's probably the biggest group on that. And then also, too, I have Team Sculpted, which that's the prep side. That's bikini competitors, figure competitors, bodybuilders, you know, whatever kind of category you want to go with, I can help you with. I've worked with, you know, female bodybuilders, figure and bikini, which physique is very similar to bodybuilding. It's a little bit different. There's some little nuances and stuff. The size is a little bit down. Same with on the bodybuilding end. You know, I've had bodybuilding competitors. You know, right now I'm working with a kid. He's either going to be, he might do classic physique. He might do physique. You know, we're kind of playing with it and stuff. But, I mean, at the end of the day, it's all very similar. You know, I go over their nutrition. I go over their weight training, their cardio you know, make sure we're getting the right shape, the right form down for the goal. You know, they kind of want to look like that, that statue figure Yes. in every, in in almost every class, you know, the one that's a little bit different, I would say is the physique, you know, they have a really, it's kind of like, it's similar to bikini in the aspect of they have very tiny waist. You want a tiny waist in bodybuilding too, but their waists are, are very, very small. Yeah. So, you know, that's a huge genetic component. So, you know, talking about clients of where they can go, what they are getting into, you know, helping them shape and kind of mold and, you know, check in with them constantly, you know, revamp the plans as we go and, you know, continue that way. So, so far I've been pretty lucky as far as the prep goes. I've had, I think on average, it's one and a half trophies per competitor so far, you know, that stems from novice to all the way up to nationals. I had one competitor that took fourth place in her class at nationals before I had a junior, wow, junior national competitor was top 15. So the only, the only thing is, you know, as much as I love those competitors and I really enjoy that because you have to very, be very, you know, minute with everything. Cause if you're off in one little area, especially with nutrition in that sport, you lose period. I yeah. Mean, you screw up your diet, you're done. Well, that's so, kind of most of the battle with, you know, working out and looking good and those kind of things. And a lot of people who aren't in this world, like people that I work with, they all think, that, oh, it's just, it's a matter of going to the gym. I just need to go to the gym. Like, no, nope. you need to get your diet in order. Like that's 80% of the battle, at least. At least. Uh, you know, the other week it was really good. I took a picture of it to show some of my clients. I was on the step mill, the revolving staircase cardio piece of equipment. A decent amount of gyms have them. So I was on that for 15 minutes, 
you know, and I was doing a hit session, high intensity interval training. So I was, you know, I was going up and down in speed constantly at the very end. And it asks you to put your weight in. So it's just based on weight. It doesn't have, you know, my age, hormone profiles or anything like that. So, you know, it's kind of a guesstimation at best, but even then it only said 148 calories. I want to say is how much I burnt, you know, and I'm breathing heavy, covered in sweat. You know, it was a very intense workout, yeah, but you're working hard, but that's the thing. So say that's completely accurate for argument's sake, 150 calories, you know, two tablespoons of peanut butter is 210 on average, depending on what type of peanut butter you're eating. Yeah. So, you know, I would I didn't even burn off two tablespoons of peanut butter in that just session right there. Yeah, that's the thing that I think a lot of people just don't realize is how hard you have to work to burn off calories. Oh, yeah. It's so much easier to just not consume them. It, it actually is. It's, that's actually more of a mental fight than it is a physiological fight. Where getting in the gym, you know, even if you're in there for a grinding hour and a half, two hour hard session, heavy lifting, some cardio – you know, four or 500 calories. That's it. You know, and if you, you think about it, like junk food, for example, how many slices of pizza is that? Two, maybe. If I'm, not I'm thinking one. like a half of a big As I say, giant piece of pizza yeah, covered in bacon and meat lovers sausage and, and pepperoni. Some stuffed crust in there, you know. <laughs> that's that's the thing. Like, you just you just took all of your calories that you burn off in, in one slice of pizza. And who eats one piece of pizza? Nobody. Weird people. Yeah, I was going to say, most people eat, you know. Half of it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or they eat the crush the whole thing or, you know. So, I haven't done that in a long time, but I've been there. Well, absolutely. I, the trick with that is, too, for all the listeners, if you're going to have a planned refeed or cheat meal, get portion sizes that you know you can finish so you don't have it lingering around. So if I'm going on a cheat, I might get a small, like, you know, single serve ice cream thing and a four piece, like, pan pizza. Because I know for a fact I'm going to get okay. through both of those. Yeah, so it's going to be gone. And then I'm done. Yeah. Then that's it. You're, you're done with it. It's just, you know, that's a good little tip that I was actually literally telling a client yesterday. That's actually really smart. Well, because one of her problems is she's a snacker. When she gets anxious, she snacks. I think a lot of people do. I know that I do. When I, oh, yeah. When I get depressed or I get bored or anything mm-hmm. like that, I reach for food. You reach for food. Because it's the most abused drug in the world, if you ask me. Because it's easily accessible. It's socially acceptable. You know, so no one's going to, it's not like smoking or heavy drinking or drugs where they have the negative connotation. It's like, you know, in this country, especially it's food means I love you. Yeah. So here's a box of Twinkies. Exactly. So that's the biggest thing. She's, you know, kind of a mindless snacker. And, you know, I would say more of my job actually is not the plan per se. You know, the best laid plans don't mean anything if they're not followed. Correct. So part of it's figuring out the ticks, the triggers, why the client is doing what they're doing, what motivated them to begin with, whether it's, you know, I want to live longer. Uh, I've had heart issues. I have heart disease in my family. You know, I feel horrible. And, and this is an honest one. A lot of women say to me, I've heard this several times that like, I want to feel sexy again. I want to look good naked. That's, that, you know, they, they want to take back that kind of control, you know, because they feel like other aspects of their life they're not able to dictate, but this is the one they can. So finding out those triggers and those ticks, like the client I was mentioning is mindlessly snacking. I guess she's anxious because this is just, you know, with the holidays coming up, it's a rough time of year for her for some personal reasons I'm not going to go into, but it's rough. You know, this time of year is going to be rough. And we knew that, but she was looking at it from the surface. Well, I snack. My problem is I'm snacking. I go, no, the problem is why are you snacking? Yeah, you know, you gotta you gotta look way under the surface with nutrition because, like I said, it doesn't matter if I put the best plan in front of you that's guaranteed that you're gonna lose weight. You know, if you have those little ticks and triggers that not they're not being addressed, if you're not correcting those kind of things, 
you're going to deal with, you know, the aftermath, which is, you know, you're going to go on a binge. And that particular client, I said, I go, you're one step away from calling me at like a buffet going, yep, I'm here. This is happening. I'm in sweatpants. Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. She didn't, wasn't quite to that point, but (laughs) she even admitted, she's like, I want to lay down and sleep for two days and just lay on the couch and eat chips. And I go, yeah, I know. It's because in her particular case, her emotional energy has been drained from everything that's going on, you know? And that's one thing people I don't think look at enough. It's like, you know, if you're emotionally being taxed, that's what's going to influence food. Food and emotion go very similarly hand in hand. Yes, because it's very comforting. That's why they call it comfort food. Exactly. And that's the thing people don't, they don't register as much as that stress and anxiety that it could be your, you know, your emotional energy is just drained. You know, it's like everything else. Everybody needs a recharge, whether it's you sleep 12 hours, two days in a row, or you take a huge long nap or, you know, that or, once... or some people want to get out in nature and go for a hike or yes. go be out in the sun. Or some people want to just lay on the beach and put their you know feet in the water and read a good book, you know, mm-hmm. that recharges them. Everybody's a little different. Exactly. Everyone has that thing that just, you know what, it, it energizes them. And I think the other problem too, I've noticed is some people think that thing that is energizing them is actually the detriment. <laughs> I've dealt with that in the past where they're like, this is the only place I can escape. I go... Yes, but you're escaping to alcoholism. All the people you're surrounded with at this escape for that 20 minutes you're playing your sport in your club leagues, you know, is great. But then after you're getting shit housed. Yeah, that, that's kind of what it's all about. Like in those, it's they're they're called beer leagues for a reason. Like beer leagues. You go and you play and you have fun with the boys or the, or the gals or whatever, mm-hmm. and then you go out and you drink. Yeah, and it's you're trying to you know they're using that kind of ex- escape. To, to, you know, numb the pain. It's just like everything else. Everyone craves, there's a buzz that everyone craves, whether it's a workout high, whether it's, you know, caffeine. Hey, you know, people, that's another one that's kind of overlooked a lot of times. It's like, oh, you're drinking four pots of coffee a day. You're buzzed. You, you know, yeah. you get a buzz. And so any kind of thing that people kind of escape from it, you know, you got to look at those security blankets. And you got to look, okay, can you allow them to have those? Can you, you know, do you need to restrict them? Are they detrimental? Are they okay? Like, you know, constructive habits can be very good. You know, if you're going to switch from a severe drinking problem to coffee or tea, that's a better alternative. Well, yes, if it's not abused. To a point. Because well, it's, it's, you have to get everything kind of in balance. Mm-hmm. You can't just trade one habit for another. No. But there is a there's a lesser effect because yeah. the fortunate part of your body with caffeine especially is you, you get sick if you OD on it pretty quickly, which you can on alcohol too. But that can I mean in order to OD on caffeine it's it's harder. You can OD on salt, you know, but the amount it takes to OD on salt or sugar is so much that your body you'd start throwing up beforehand. Yeah. Your body's got you know some good mechanisms for it. So you know if I can get somebody to 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 go to a lesser habit to start, you know, there's a lot of steps. Very few people can do things cold turkey. And I understand that. And I don't try to ask that of anybody because the whole part with, you know, my clientele and what I do is, you know, my background, I was very fortunate in my undergrad that the advisor to my program really liked me. Great guy. He was a sports psychologist. That's where his PhD was in. And he knew I had a really good interest in that nutrition. So for my undergrad degree, he wrote a lot of those classes in. So I got a, you know, a much bigger amount of sports nutrition and sports psychology than most people. I mean, I think I took 25 credits of sports psych roughly, and there was another 30-ish of nutrition, which out of a strength conditioning coaching degree, <clears throat> I was unheard of. I had, you know, that's the thing. I just used all of my electives, and then some of them were written in in place of other classes to, to go that route because he knew that's what I really wanted to do. So that gave me that kind of insight, you know, and even when I was a young kid, I was – in my sophomore year of high school, I started reading sports psychology books because well, I was in strongman at that point, 
I knew that the mind controlled the body from a very young age. That for some reason I, I just knew it. It made perfect sense to me. So I was getting a hold of any book I can get a hold of. So, you know, I was always reading about, you know, how they do visualization and, you know, going through rituals and everything. Like I had those down from the time I was fifteen. You know, which is a rare thing because I think most people, even in their 20s and 30s, haven't figured that out yet. No, and it's you know, it's the variables. Everything's about variables. You got to limit the variables, and you got to account for them. That you know, for example, yesterday was the Akron Marathon. Had a couple of friends run it. You know, and the weather was super hot for yeah, this it was time of year. Very hot. It was 91 or 92, I yeah, think. Yeah, because we're what the middle of September here in Northeast Ohio. Normally, it's a high of 70, maybe 75. It's gorgeous this time of year. My favorite personally time of year agreed same. and what was it yesterday 90 92 somewhere in there yeah. something like that it was bloody hot because i was outside all day shooting and, and i was just, just dripping and oh, sweat yeah. pouring down my face it was awful well and that's the thing so but that's and that's what you know that's exactly it they could not account for that variable you can't no you you know and even the week leading up to it most people are going to be on a taper it's not like they had two to three weeks to, of, to train in that heavy heat and to train in it yeah. to, to you know go with it which you know would have been beneficial but the problem is, is like i said they didn't have the availability because on a taper you're going to notice it a little bit but the week of the race nobody's you know crushing high mileage so well, unless you have a really shitty coach yeah exactly unless, <laughs> then maybe unless you're very inexperienced on running <laughs> for all you runners out there do not the week of the race do not run a lot of mileage that is a bad idea so but that's the thing you know understanding that variables and the psychology and stuff. So in undergrad, I got a lot of that. And then for my master's program, I got more into the science, you know, VO2 max, more of the fizz. So, you know, combining those was really great because not only do I understand, you know, the processes in the body, but I understand the process of the mind. And that's what matters, you know, nine times out of 10 minimum. Yeah. I mean, that's that's kind of what it's, this is the one thing that I try to get into young kids' heads a lot, you know, like, most of these sports are not physical. Most of them are mental, mm-hmm. you know, and as, and if you want to be a coach, you need to understand that. And coaching is not about writing programs. It's not about, you know, fancy training. It's not about all the bullshit gimmicks and methods and stuff you hear all the time. Like, no, it's about psychology and understanding your athletes. Well, and that's the biggest key too, especially in the back room I've noticed is, you know, being able to do that and stuff. And some coaches are, are very good in at the it. back room of what? At an Olympic lifting. Okay, game. so so for those who don't understand, kind of explain that a little bit. So in the back room, what we call it, it's just the warm-up area. So it's pre-competition. So you have anywhere, depending on the size of the meet, I think national meets, usually it's 10 to 12 people, 15 sometimes in a big session. Usually, yeah. Usually. Of people in your weight class. The national meets is usually one weight class at a time kind of doing it. Where local meets, it could be a mix of, you know, various classes it could be you know 48 53 58 and 63 female classes are all lifting at the same time so you would be in the back room warming up and the whole goal of the coach is to get you you know maximally warmed up to hit max attempts on the platform without over warming you up and tiring you out and while potentially if somebody's close to you and there's you know medals on the line is disrupting their you know their warm-up Exactly. It's a part of the game. You know, somebody one time when I was explaining that to him said, oh, that sounds dirty. I go, okay. When this particular person played volleyball, I go, you know, is it dirty to like give your, you know, your player behind you signals on what play you're going to do next so the other team doesn't know? She's like, well, no, that's part of the sport. And I go, exactly. 
this is a part of the sport. Some of the best lifters in the world have been disrupted by the other person, and that, that's part of the goal, you know. Yeah, you, you want to get them off their best, and you want to be at your best, and mm-hmm. you put everything in, in favor of your athlete so they can come out there. Because in our sport, like, it's a progressively loaded bar, mm-hmm. which is very different than other sports, say powerlifting, where those are running flights. Yep. So you got plenty of time to rest in between your, your next attempts, whereas in, in Olympic weightlifting, you can really mess with people and uh, shorten their warm-ups or shorten their attempts or c- cut them down so they don't have time to rest after they've already taken their attempts. You can There's lots of games you can play to kind of get in their head and give your athlete a little bit of an advantage. Oh, absolutely. And you can shelve them longer to, you know, any of the things to throw off the game. And what's what's nice about it is, and I ask you to make me sound a little bit arrogant, is... With, with a big grin on your face you know, right of course, now. <laughs> is a lot of coaches don't see it that way. And I'm not saying they're, it's cut, cutthroat, but at the same time, if I'm at a national level meet, I will say hi to you. I will be cordial and friendly. If you ask me what my lifter is going to take and when they're going to take it, I'm going to laugh at you. And I actually had done that before at the American Open when a coach is like, oh, she's going to take this attempt, right? It's all about the game. I looked at the guy and I said, yeah. Ten seconds went off the clock. I bumped her up. His lifter had to go. And she was about to. She was in the middle of taking an attempt just to warm up in the back, which was stupid on his part anyways because she was yeah. following the it, lifter. It shouldn't have been that close. She, she, no. she already had that and been up at the platform ready to go. But that's an amateur mistake. Yep. And that was his fault, not mine. Don't care. You know, but it, it's to me, it's the, you know, the game. I love that kind of game because not only do I have to know what my lifter is going to hit, I have to know what, you know, five lifters around them are going to hit, you know, two or so down and two to three up. Because if it comes down to a couple of kilos, if I can throw a lifter off and they happen to have a great day or really on or moving, you know, I can bump them up a lot of spots. Well, especially in those national meets where if, if you take a three-kilo jump between your first and second attempt, which is a very small jump, most people take four and five-kilo mm-hmm. jumps, you're going to sit and wait for 10, 12 attempts Easily. because everyone's so close together in all these lifts mm-hmm. that, that there's just not a big spread. So you're going to have, you know, five girls taking this weight and the next girl's taking that, and some are going to miss and have to repeat that weight, and it's just there's a lot of weight at time. Well, and that's the thing, you know, and a lot of coaches, like I said, don't, you know, they need more trench time. I was lucky because I was under Dan Bell and Mark Canella for a while, learning under them. And it was two good guys to learn from. Very good guys to learn from. You know, arguably top five coaches in the country, those two guys. Absolutely. And that's the thing. So, you know, not only did I have a degree in coaching, but I'd been self-coaching for, you know, almost 10 years before I even got into Olympic lifting with strongman and other things. And so I'd already been coaching myself. I'd already been working with clients. So I had a very good foundational knowledge. I have a very good biomechanical eye. You know, I could really see movement patterns better than most. Just like there are some freak athletes out there. There's some people that have a propensity for whatever it is, whether it's athletics or coaching or, you know, some people can look at a computer with very little to no training and they know how to code, Yeah. you know, or they can be a hacker. They just kind of understand it. Yeah. You know, you have a mechanic who, you know, just looks at a car and, you know, can hear it and be like oh you know what your timing's off yeah. you can just hear the exhaust or yeah. hear the engine reps now, now now granted with those kind of people it still takes them years mm-hmm. and thousands of hours of dedicated time to their craft to really perfect those things oh absolutely but for some people it just comes naturally mm-hmm. and they can just pick it up so much faster well and that's the biggest thing is you know is like your fingerprints everybody's different yeah you know even if it's two percent you know because that might not sound like a lot but the difference between us and some of the ancestors of people like Neanderthals and, you know, some of the different homeo species is 2%. That's why we survived and they didn't. So 2% means a lot, you know, 
2% more oxygen, I think past 24, 26%, you can't breathe too much, too much oxygen in the mixture. Yeah. You know, 2% can make a huge difference. So, you know, that being said, that's what the athletes, you know, you got to know them and then you got to know the competition. You got to be able to read the competition. I think, you know, a lot of coaches kind of rest on their laurels a little bit too much. And after that American open meet, I remember being at the Arnold and a couple of coaches I said hi to, and they were looking down and being, you know, nice. They were still saying hi, and we were just chatting. And then once they looked up and realized it was me, and this is verbatim, I heard him say to his other coach, he goes, who's that guy counting for? We need to know. And another guy said the same thing. He goes, oh, that guy whooped me at the AO. I, I mean, I'm not making that up. Like, I literally heard them say that to their other coach. Yeah. And I just kind of started laughing to myself. I was like, good, good. You should be intimidated by me. Yeah. And it's like, and it's just funny because I was 26, 27, maybe. So I'm, I know I'm a kid and I'm, I'm quoting that I'm a kid to them, but I've had a bar in my hands for almost 20 years. I've been competitive for, you know, 14 of it. I've coached, like I said, I started self-coaching when I was actually in middle school. I was the one who wrote up my own workouts. Okay. I'm not exaggerating. Well, so. let, let's, let's go through that a little bit. Let's kind of, kind of go through the kind of rushed version. I mean, we, we don't have time to really get into it all today. We've only got so much time here no, today no, with you, but like, well, let's go through like a quick you know, maybe five, 10 minute background of kind of how you got started in weight sports and kind of what led you into it and kind of where you're at now. Absolutely. So it started actually when I was five, because between five and about 10, I'd off and on toy with weights. Like I'd do some curls or I'd bench with my brothers. No, my these are the old like concrete filled plastic ones that we all like started off with like in our, in our the, basements. I remember the sand ones. The, okay. The plastic sand plates. Yep. We actually I had, had some of those too. We had the, we had the standard is what they were called. So you have the Olympic lifting set and size you yep. know that's got the the bigger diameter at the end i think it's a two inch collar is it a two inch i think the, so the standard is a one inch it's one inch it's yeah. one inch collar so we had standard plates so that's just a bit of a smaller hole which is yeah you'd see it in like in walmart or dick sporting goods mm-hmm. or sears or wherever you I bought those you, things from back in the day well yeah and we were actually lucky there's a weightlifting store right up the road that we got most of our stuff from okay so and he was specifically it was called world of weights you know i, I think he's recently you know i think he retired from the business but he always hooked it up and always had good equipment was a good guy always he he knew i was so dedicated he usually since i was a kid he'd give me things for price he's a great guy nice you know so it's between five and ten i kind of toyed with things but i still remember to this day bill kazmaier and jeff capes going at it in the 82 world's strongest man and i saw kaz and i was like that's what i want to do you know as a little kid i wasn't like i want to be a firefighter or i want to be a policeman you know like some of the more normal kind of little kids get hooked on those kind of things. I was like, nope, I want to be, I want to lift heavy things. I want to lift rocks. And, you know, so it started right around fourth, fifth grade. I started getting into it seriously. And then, I mean, I don't have the notebook anymore, but in my middle school planner, every other day said lift and it listed <laughs> the lifts and I wrote them all down. So it started in sixth grade. I remember I would do every other day I would lift. And then it turned into seventh and eighth grade. I started hitting walls. So I started changing it. So I was doing every three days. I did three days on one day off. So I started revamping my program and I was evolving and learning. By the time I was in eighth grade, I stood about 5'10". I was already starting to lose my hair. So that was fun. I already had facial hair. I started getting facial hair in fifth grade, actually. Really? Yeah. I had a mustache then. So naturally my testosterone was going up, but it was really funny. I mean, I was already benching 250 and I could deadlift 350 pretty easily. And there's a picture for basketball where we're, you know, you're in the, the, the jerseys with no sleeves and you could see with my hands by my back, I had traps. Like I was the only kid. I looked like the assistant coach someone said. So that was kind of funny. And then and this is fifth, sixth grade. That was eighth grade. Eighth grade. Okay. Eighth grade. So 
then then you know in high school I really got into it actually I probably got into it a little more than my parents liked not that they didn't support my lifting they did but definitely sophomore year especially I was like all I'm doing is lifting and my GPA tanked they were (laughs) not happy about that I can understand that so that's when I actually got the end of freshman year is when I did my first couple strongman competitions my first one I want to say was April and I qualified for nationals okay to my knowledge even though the NAS was North American Strongman Society. It's split into two factions now. But at the time, up until quite recently, when they were still together, it was one group. I was the youngest person because they moved the age from from any teenager to 16 only. And I was 15 when I qualified. So at the time, I was the only 15-year-old that ever qualified. So I was pretty excited about that. And, you know, when I went to nationals, there was two 17-year-olds and everyone else was 19. And then there was 15-year-old me. And I did not come in last place. I beat three guys. So, you know, it's not bad for a kid. That's pretty good showing. It's your first national meet. Yeah, and I was I was really excited. And the culture of Strongman, I love. I love to this day. They're the most inviting people. Oh, they're super good guys. They're the best. They're big, strong-looking guys. A lot of them are pretty intimidating with facial hair and big beards. And a lot of them have tattoos. Mm-hmm. And they're just big teddy bears. They're the nicest people. I mean, I met Magnus Samuelson. 6'7", 350, was joking with me when he was signing my T-shirt when I was in high school. And Kaz, when I first met him, was messing with me when I was telling him I got into the because of him and I got a picture where I'm you know standing next to the Kaz and I was a good 250 260 as a, a sophomore in high school how tall are you six foot are you that tall then yeah okay that's where I kind of stopped growing but I was you know I'm almost standing no, eye to pretty eye with, good size six well, foot 250 when I'm standing almost eye to eye with Kaz I was already pulling a 500 pound deadlift raw for reps no belt no straps and I'm standing next to Kaz, and he's still a big guy, but, you know, I look like I held my own. It was a really cool picture I still have. It's like, okay, you know, I, I can potentially do this. So continue to do strongman and powerlifting, and I had a few injuries, so I had to take a couple years off. And then when I really got back into it, I qualified again for nationals at 19, and I took fourth place, I think. I did decent. I didn't do quite as well as I wanted to. Uh, you know, training wasn't optimal as I'd like. At the time, I had a – a girlfriend who was we got along really well but we started having the last two months of our relationship the problems really came about and they were very nasty so that really took my training for a loop for yeah it's, it's amazing how stuff. much like the stress at home can really affect your lifting or your oh, work yeah. or sports or any schooling anything you're doing it can really just kind of mess with your head well and the reason i'm even bringing that up is because that was the first time i ever understood that that Basically, when I was younger, the, the external factors were very minimal. Yeah, you I mean, know, you're, a, you're a kid. You're, you're, a kid. you're at school. Like, yeah, you got to be there. Most time, you don't want to. But yeah, you and, get through it. You're with your friends. It's not the end of the world. And that's the thing. You know, high school was weightlifting and playing poker in my buddy's basement. That's what we always did. And it was nice. It was easy. You know, so it's sim- it's better than doing drugs and going yeah, out and drinking. So. Simpler time, you know. And, and I enjoy that very much. And even when I got to college, it's not that college was, you know, crazy as far as that much different it's just a different scenery and stuff like I said that was my first real experience with understanding how badly like a bad relationship or you know a real rough period can can mess with you especially when you both care about each other and it just you know didn't work out but that was that was the best thing that could have happened to me because of how I learned and since then nothing has fully ever invaded my training sense okay so and you so, kind of set up some boundaries to make sure that didn't happen again well and that's the thing it wasn't even necessarily boundaries it was just more of the the hell in my own head and how to you know how to disconnect myself where okay when i step into the gym she doesn't exist you know being able to to disassociate okay. was a bigger thing because 
you know, you're going to have bad days and external things kind of affect you, but you got to learn when you step into the gym that you got to leave your shit at the door, you know, especially if you're going to lift heavy because that weight doesn't care that you had a bad day. So yeah. if you're off, it's always at hundred percent. Yeah. If you're off a technique, you're off in form, it will let you know. So, you know, that was a really good learning curve. And then I did strongman for a couple more years, qualified again for nationals. And then I was gearing up for a big competition that Phil Fister was running and it ended up being the competition wasn't going to happen because they were going to have worlds down in West Virginia where he lives. So, but I tore my bicep tendon training. I was doing a rack deadlift and it just got off the bar, got off my hip a little bit instead of staying right on my thighs. And it was with my, you know, my underhand, my supinated grip and it just popped very common injury in strongman. Unfortunately, yes. It's a Most, very common injury. But it's very similar if anyone out there knows about Tommy John surgery in baseball. It's a very similar procedure. After Tommy John's, the tendons are cranked down tighter. So they're less likely to rip and you have a stronger, you know, elbow for pitching. Very similar. This tendon's not going to rip. You know, it's anchored into my forearm now. There's no arthritis from it. You know, I'm still slightly like I don't have quite the same mobility, but it's definitely like mobile enough that yeah, I mean, you, you can bar- you can barely tell no yeah and that's not like, like it's it's only like at 50 percent of what it used to be i mean it's it's probably what 90 95 no it's it's the only literally the only lagging thing in it is i can't i don't have quite the same rotation i do in my right arm yeah compared to my left my left is a little bit behind other than that no the strength the endurance everything's back perfect so you know and then i decided because and, and i'm not judging strongman for this and i never will but a lot of those guys are on, you know, they're on running, what they're running the sauce. They're running the gas. They're on drugs. There steroids, we go. They're, they're, on. they're on steroids. Oh yeah. Well, I want to use some of the street names for them too. Cause well, some people, when that. you say gas, they don't know what that but means. But there's, there's some people who aren't in our world who True. just they think, Oh, these guys are just really big, strong guys. Like, well, yeah, they are. Yeah. A lot of them are juiced to the gills with steroids. Mm-hmm. So, and, and that's the other thing too. I was, I was a young kid in the sport and to get to that kind of next level, that would have been what I would have had to dance with. And I was like, I don't want to do that right now. Can't say I blame you. So I went into Olympic lifting and I will say I was naive at first thinking, well, they drug test. And then when I actually got into the sport, it's like, yes, the USA drug test. Yeah. A lot of the other countries, you know, and for you at home, I'm putting my, my hand over my eyes. They drug test. I got the paper. He passed. So I mean, I, I mean, I hate to say this, but in in our in our sport in Olympic weightlifting, there's a lot of people who are using. Now, oh yeah, a lot of them get caught, but most of them get caught here in the states, right? USADA, USADA is really good oh, at testing. Yeah. Whereas WADA, uh, the World Anti-Doping Agency, whereas USADA is obviously the U.S. Anti-Doping mm-hmm. Agency, um, they they test at these big events, you know, so that they, they know that their athletes coming in just need to cycle off and get it out of their system, and they can flush them out, and it's no big deal, and they'll and they'll test and they'll test clean, and and there's a lot of them who just mysteriously have shoulder injuries two weeks before, oh, because they messed up their cycle, and they're still pissing hot so oh, they're yeah. not going to go to the meet and you know, you know so it's there it's, it's more of an iq test than it is actual testing whereas here in the states like usada will just knock on your door at seven in the morning randomly hey pee in a cup yep. we're gonna go test it right now here's your here, here's my id you pee in this cup yeah. and that's the thing and even some americans you know who have been caught in the next surprisingly other disciplines and i'm not going to name names on this particular person but they were caught in a different sport using, but every time they went to a meet, like a big national meet, after setting a bunch of state records or something along those lines, you know, they'd have these great training videos. Next thing you know, they'd go one for six or bomb out completely, which they won't test somebody who's bombed out. And, you know, the conflicting stories this person tells all of their friends that I'm friends with as well is, you know, one person, it's she had a bad weight cut. The next person, it's, 
you know, they had a, an injury. The next person, it's they were sick. The story changes, and it changes amongst even close friends. And it's like, uh-huh, well, finally, another sport got them for the same thing. So yeah. it's like, hey, come on. So, you know, and that's the thing. I, I Like I said, I came in a little bit naive on that point. But we got into the sport. I enjoyed it. But about six, nine months into it's when I started getting some injuries and pfft, it just worked me, you know. I it's a brutal sport. It is a brutal sport, and yeah, it's funny. People think that strongman beat my body up more. In actuality, it didn't. I popped my back out of place more times in Olympic lifting than I'd ever done in my life. And that's not to say that Olympic lifting is dangerous or bad. It's not. It's that, you know, I have one leg is significantly longer than the other. Usually, it's anywhere from an eighth of an inch to a quarter tops. There's a limb length difference. Mine's a half inch that my doctor figured out. So my hips shift out of place when I'm in the hole and I have flexion on the one side of my back, which is not good. Yeah. And that's what drove pressure onto my discs, which caused them to slip. So after having an experimental procedure with stem cells injected into my discs, they have grown back. They don't slip anymore, knock on wood. And, you know, I'm back to being able to lift, but I do some Olympic lifting just to keep it in you of know, course. the routine, but I typically power I don't. Yeah, you know, there's, there's no point to push it super heavy all the time to try no. to compete. It's just you're doing it now because you love it and it's fine. And let's yeah. be honest, you're pretty damn good at it. Well, the thing is, you know, I want to keep I want to keep it up because I still do coach, and you know, not not that coaches have to necessarily be efficient lifters, especially. I mean, you know, Dan Bell and Don McCauley are you know they're no spring chickens. I'm not saying that offensively, yeah. but I, I don't. And I know that Dan, them. I know that Dan was a mediocre lifter. In, in Olympic weightlifting, he wasn't even that good. No, he's – and he's much better built for deadlifting. He's got long yeah, arms, yeah. which is not good for that – for Olympic lifting. Long arms is, is not a good thing. But that's the thing, you know, you just have to have experience with the lift. So, you know, I like to, to dabble with them, you know, and keep playing with them. And I do enjoy, especially still to this day, putting heavyweight over my head. I liked that before I even got into Olympic lifting. So I still like to do – you know, presses, push, press, push, yeah. jerk. I mean, splits. let's let's be real honest here. Like lifting the weight up is like a factor of coolness. Yeah. Right. So like deadlifting it up to your waist is like okay, that's pretty cool. But if you can clean it up to your shoulders, that's a little bit cooler. But if you can put that shit overhead, oh, absolutely. You know, that's just the ultimate cool. Most people can't even fathom mm -hmm. like the stuff that we do. Like I tell people that don't understand our world. You know, like how much weight that I've put over my head. And they're like, holy shit, I can't even pick that up off the ground. Like, mm -hmm. okay, thanks. I appreciate it. That's awesome. But there's 15-year-old girls in China doing that too. Yeah. Because you know, I found this sport at 30. Yes. You know, you're not going to be ever amazing at anything when you find it at 30. No, very, very rarely. I mean, there's the one movie, I think, in baseball, The Rookie. It was like the 35-year-old okay. who ended up being able to still throw in the mid-90s yeah. and was a pitcher. Movie. Yeah, exactly. Well, no, that's, that's based, on a, based true story. on a true story. Yeah, so that was a real okay, – so there's, actual... the, there's the one guy ever. Yeah, that's the thing. <laughs> the one guy. And they wrote a book about him, made a movie about him because it's never happened before. Yeah, just, you know, like, you know, recently, especially with uh, the tribes been doing the, the money balls been talked about, like, that's the, some of these things are very one off kind yeah, of scenarios. Very so, much so. Especially in Olympic lifting, you need to get in that sport pretty young to, to be successful with it. But yeah, I mean, I still, like I said, I coach it. So I still sometimes too, I need to be able to hit certain positions. Like I can still, I can squat down below parallel without pain or anything like that. It's just that heavy load, especially in a snatch really caused some flexion where in strongman, you're, you're not actually put in that position, no. you know? So Most of it's standing up with stuff. A lot of it's standing up. Even, the, you know, the stones, when you grab them, you're still not that low. 
You know, you're, no. you might be at parallel, maybe, depending on your technique, which, uh, you know, this is a slight digression. Dear CrossFit, quit teaching strongman. I see everybody kick their hips back when they're picking up the stone. They'll pick up the stone, they'll kick their hips and butt back, and then they'll swing themselves forward. You're going to blow out a disc. That is incorrect. It is wrong. Wrong. I don't care that you picked up a heavy stone doing it. Magnus Samuelson, the king of the stones, never lifted them that way. Marius Pujanowski, who's more towards average height, around six foot, never lifted stones that way. Sidrutis Savickas doesn't lift stones that way. Okay, these are some of the best strongmen in the world I'm mentioning. Brian Shaw, they don't lift the stones that way. Why is that? Because it's inefficient and just downright damn dangerous. So knock it off. I keep seeing videos of people doing that where they're lapping the stone just fine, but then when they go to bring it up over to their chest or possibly over their shoulder, they push their hips and butt back. All you're doing is putting pressure on your discs. Congrats. It's horrible technique. Knock it off. I like CrossFit a lot. It's where I typically work and get a lot of business. I'm fully supportive of, you know, this entity that's getting people into working out and interested in health and fitness. That is awesome. But a lot of people are not versed in all of this kind of coaching. It's kind of a jack of, you know, all trades, master of none, where I'm a master of a couple of them. That's where, you know, my specialty is, especially Olympic lifting and strongman and nutrition are the three things I do, you know, the best. So it's like, I will happily show you and teach you better technique where you're going to be not only more efficient, you're going to be stronger because that is a very weak position because all you're doing is, like I said, putting pressure on your lower back and hamstrings by getting to that position. And it doesn't actually increase the force of you lifting the stone up. So from the, like I said, the biomechanics standpoint, it's just a very inefficient movement. So, you know, they need to get out of, of teaching that. And, you know, okay, I Okay, guys, call Mike, have him come in, we'll do a seminar. Yeah, exactly. We'll take care of you guys. It's just, <laughs> I'd love to fix people and I'd love to help, but you get all these people who want to do that kind of stuff. And that just really, you know, that does irk me when I see that kind of stuff because it is, I'm more concerned about somebody getting hurt. You know, that's where my mind is. Yeah. As a coach, you know, that's rule number one. Every strength and conditioning manual you'll ever read is don't injure the athlete. You know, there are some things that are unavoidable. Of course. You know, if you put them in the right position and you show them the right technique and they get hurt, that's outside of your control. But I saw a strength and conditioning coach the other week who's having people do banded uh, squat jumps. So the guy has a bar loaded with bands on the side and he's jumping up to squat. And in the video, on his second jump, when he comes up, he lands and his knee almost buckles. He was about a quarter inch away from blowing his knee out because if his knee would have locked, it would have snapped. But, you know, what do I know? <laughs> yeah. it's, it's fancy stuff they gotta do these fancy things they to gotta, get strong mike you know I, that's how that works you, you can't just do the old school stuff that doesn't work well and i gotta i gotta quote one of my favorite professors of all of college and i'm gonna name him by name mike duve a loved coach he was a great teacher great person and you know when we post this i'll definitely tag him in it but you know what coach always said and it got to the point where it was a running joke but we'd all he'd always say it and it's true we're not reinventing the wheel. And he reiterated that constantly, but that's the truth. You know, just because something seems sexy and cool doesn't make it good. Yeah. You know, there's no there's no magic. It's the same thing always. Consistency and dedication will get you to lose weight, will get you stronger, will get you in better shape. Dedication, consistency. Not a magic pill, not a magic plan, you know, the basics. Hey, if you eat, you know, meats and vegetables and that's all you eat, odds are you're going to be reasonably healthy. Okay? You know, work out three, four days a week, even if it's basics, you know, you just go and even if you just did machines, you know, do some upper body, do some lower body, throw in a couple of free weight things, basics. Okay. You don't have to do some sort of crazy 
barbell routine or some weird thing you saw where this guy's doing a flagpole and now you want to go do that which for those who don't know flagpoles where somebody holds himself sideways on a bar so that you're parallel to the ground your feet are up which is a very hard movement to do that's another thing too like you pointed out earlier about you know dan bell and he not having the greatest olympic lifting career it's not like he was an olympian or anything But that's the other thing, too. A lot of times, the most elite athletes are not the best coaches. So somebody can pull something off that's crazy and looks cool. That's great. Odds are that's, you know, their athleticism where they didn't have to work towards it. Like, it's something they're gifted in being able to do or they had to do very minimal work. Yeah. I mean, it's it's not even so – I don't even think it's so much that as a fact that – Good coaching, like we talked about earlier, is is more about psychology than it is like knowing how to do something. Whereas, okay, yeah, if you've done it to a great you know level, like I can I can use a great example is like a Russian guy who comes around the states now and he he coaches a bunch of like a CrossFit things. He doesn't lift anymore and he's 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 more of a freak show. He does all kinds of crazy stupid shit, mm-hmm. you know. And it's like, and I know a guy personally who has gone down to a bunch of his seminars to translate essentially because he doesn't speak very good english yeah you know and he's like you know this guy is not a good coach he puts people in the same positions he gives people the same cues and like the thing that you know people don't realize is like a good coach understands what we need to do and understands how different people are and how to get them to different things and they give different cues they put people in different positions they realize that people lift differently like and that's the marker of a good coach but people don't want that they want the famous person that they they see on instagram well and it's so funny you say that too because i had not it was last week actually in in my class i had somebody who was using a similar technique to the person you're describing so first off this particular person i'm not going to name their name they're bowed legged okay so they have a different stance than somebody who's straight legged and i'm serious because of that that bowing they have a different pressure point in their foot in order to get their knees back because of the bow. Okay. It's a different position because I've seen the videos and seen what you're talking about where every person, this person's trying to put in his exact position. Yeah. They force them in there even though yeah. their bodies can't do it. Exactly. And there's actually two coaches, European co- coaches, and I'm quoting that. You're two European lifters who are floating around doing that same exact thing. And that is absolutely the marker of a good coach. It does not matter what the person is built like, you're going to get the same general results. You got to hit, you got to emphasize the same position. Now how that person gets there exactly is going to be a little bit different, but at the end of the day, you know, it's, it's an open and a vertical drive up and you know, that's what you got to aim for in the lift. I mean, cause you're what six, five, right? Six, five. So, but you still have to hit the same positions yeah. I do. You just might get there a slightly different way. Exactly. Or you're, you know, if we both, you know, grabbed the same grip, no, you know, your arms are going to be farther out. It's just, that's the, probably the simplest example. Same with your stance. Your stance is probably going to be a little bit wider, you know? Absolutely. So just little variables right there, you know, versus this particular, I think both of these lifters are around five ten to six foot. I, the one walked by me before. I, I, he's all 5'10". I'm taller than he is. But that's the other thing, too. So I'm two inches taller than this guy, and I'm not bowed like it. So how am I going to get in position? You know, I'm not going to be able to get in that position. And I had a lifter who she was trying to shoot her knees out kind of like as if she was bowed like it. And it wasn't bad. It was just putting her pressure point at the wrong spot for her. So she's getting a little bit on her toes too much for what I liked. So I, I said, why is she doing that? And she had said she'd seen some videos and stuff. And I said, well, all right, we'll put your, put your feet together. She put them together. Her legs are straight. 
I'm like, it's not going to work. She goes, well, that's how I get my knees back. I go, which is part of the lift. She's not wrong. You know, that's correct. So I was like, okay, I get that. But like, when you do that, you're putting pressure on the sides of your toes instead of going from midfoot to heel, like you need to shift your weight properly. And she didn't, you know, she wasn't getting quite in the right position. So we started working on pushing them back. She looks at me after the second attempt, she did it. She goes, well, that feels a lot better. I go, well, it's just how you're built. You yeah. know, was there's 12 or 13 people in this class and every single one of them feels a little bit different. Every single one of them has a different athletic background. So, you know, where I push and how I push also depends on that kind of too. Cause you know, some people better for them is good, but it's not going to be good for this other person. Exactly. Better than yeah. You, you need to be able to realize that, see it and go for it. That's, that's coaching. Well, and you know, that's the biggest thing as we've mentioned, you know, before, especially with the nutrition clients, it's, you know, I got to put myself in their shoes and I got to understand what they're going through, you know, whether it's I've had to deal with, you know, a female in a male dominated workforce before, which, you know what, there's something I haven't, you know, I've understood it or seen it, but I haven't had the bird's eye view. And, you know, and that's good experience for me too, because then I get the, well, you know what, this is stressful because of not only a high stress job, but, you know, they're looking for this particular person to make a mistake because it is a male dominated field. So, you know, sometimes those are variables, those very minute intricacies that you don't see at first. Yeah. So it's all about, you know, kind of building up whatever that particular person needs or like night shift. You know, I've worked with a lot of people who are night shift. So, you know, that's a completely different, you know, kind of internal clock in comparison to somebody who's, you know, a nine to five person. So when I'm writing a plan, you know, you got to factor that in. It's like, well, they're going to come home. They're going to eat. They're going to go to bed. They're going to wake up at two in the afternoon. They're going to go work out. Then they're going to eat and then they're going to go back to work. Like, how do you factor that kind of in? So, you know, everything, there's some, some general, general rules, general guidelines, I'll say to everything. But at the same time, every person then it's going to have their own kind of flair or tweak or minutia added to it in order to get them where they need to be. You know, I I use a lot of things, like I said, as guidelines, as far as position goes in Olympic lifting, where I've seen that, you know, uh, Don McCauley's been on a big kick with how the hip angle gets a little bit above the upper back angle. And I don't disagree with that. However, I don't teach that. Well, I mean, that's the thing is, well, I think what Don is trying to say is that it can happen it can. for the certain lifter. It's not necessarily a bad thing no. as long as they hit certain positions. And that's that's what he's trying to say. Is, Agreed. Hey, it's this isn't a horrible thing. It's not that they're a bad lifter because of this. It's just how they lift. Well, that's the thing. So it's – and the reason I don't teach it is because if they do end up in that position that he is talking about – like you said, if they end up in the right positions and they're strong and stable, I will let it go. Yeah. But I will never actively teach it because I've noticed because predominantly I do teach CrossFitters. If I were ever to say that it's okay that your hip gets up a little bit ahead, they're going to stick their butt up first yeah. and be out of complete position and you know not lift yeah, very they're, well. They're going to take it literally and go too far. And that's the thing. And most, even in Olympic lifting, I would never teach it because when you I think, I think for that, some of those athletes, if it, it happens, it happens. You don't poo-poo it. You just you kind of work with it. Well, that's the thing too. If I had somebody walk into me that wants to compete and they have a perfect Russian pole versus a Chinese pole versus the slight kind of variation I teach. I'm, you know, if it's dead money, eh, I'm probably not going to correct it. If it works for them and it's the right position. And like I said, it's, they open up a little bit later, you know, a little bit past the knee versus the Chinese that open up right at the knee. Typically, you know, if they, Hey, if they're opening up and it's just their balance point and they're consistent and that's just their natural pole, not going to mess with Absolutely. it. Absolutely, There's no point in messing with that. Do most people come in like that? Absolutely not. Do most American coaches teach the Russian pole correctly. 
No. And what I mean by that is that's not insult. That's not an insult. What I mean by that is those, when I was at with the little person you were mentioning earlier that translates, I went to, I might botch his name. Smallsanoff, I think is his name. He's a Russian coach. He's okay. an actual. He's an actual coach. He had a decent lifting career that got cut short because he had an injury. But he's the one who's coached a lot of the female gold medalists they've had over the last couple of Olympics or okay. silver medalists. He's got a lot of them. So he's the actual guy in the trenches doing the stuff. So I went with him because he needed a ride down there to translate. And hey, it was a fun weekend, you know, seeing some friends in that area. So it was nice to 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 meet a coach of that caliber to see what they actually do. Because what these lifters do is what their coach might have taught them, maybe. And then they might be going off of what they think is correct versus this guy's been coaching for, you know, about 20 years. So, you know, it, it gave me an insight where a lot of people don't know this. You know, they start between five and six with just a bar for two years, he said. is You start the kids off with bars. That's how they get that balance point, that timing down. Because that's part of the hardest part of the Russian polls, the the timing and balance because a lot of people have a tendency to rush it so they bring their hips forward knock the bar forward jump forward that's a very common problem yep but after being at that seminar it was nice because i got you know the things that make their pull correct because if you think about it if you had that lifter for two years when you're trying to teach that pull okay you're probably going to get them in balance at some point over those two years but how many people are you going to meet get at six years old you're not you know you know, in America, we get lifters a little bit later after their other athletic careers are usually over. So they usually have other sports first before they jump into this. So you're going to have limited time. You're going to have a limited window. So it's a very hard pull to teach right out of the gate because it does take a lot of time to get that down. You know, and I think that's where a lot of American coaches do not know that. They do not know that it's they usually start with two years with a bar. And late starting for them is 10. Yeah, and good luck getting an athlete to come in your gym who's in their 20s, who've played other sports, who are going to do that for two years exactly. before they even start to lift 30, 40, 50 kilos. Well, and I think that's know. where the de- – I think that's why that pull – I'm not going to say it's detrimental. I think that you're going to – you know, the the return on investment over the time is, is limited. Where the Chinese pull or like a little bit of a variation kind of an in-between both of them – where you still get that good open up and, you know, right around the knee in that position, it's easier to get into. Yeah, it's much easier to get your timing and technique down. It absolutely is because – and I'm also – I have I have very unique knowledge on this because when I first started for the first two years, I was – it was a pain in the ass to get the timing down, and it finally sort of started to click, and that's when – because at the time, you know, the pole that Dan was teaching, the pole that Mark Canelo was teaching are both – it was both very Russian oriented, you know, good pull, but that timing was a pain for me, you know, and it's no fault of theirs. It's just really hard to get down. That's yeah. why, you know, cause I'm, I'm a decent athlete. I've been called a D one and a half. If they had, if they had collegiate strong, man, I probably would have been in it, you know? So, but I'm not the absolute freaks out there. And I'm not going to say I am. That'd be a lie. But yeah. once Dan started going more towards a little bit of the hybrid with the Chinese pull, my technique had a lot better, a lot quicker quickly you know and that was that was a real eye-opening kind of thing as a lifter and then as a coach even that your timing and balance it's just faster to get into you know and they've got little kids in china at five that have that technique precise because it is it's a little bit easier to learn you know it was one better than the other like i said i think that's a time frame thing more than anything and the athlete like i said some people come in and they can do the russian pole so that's where like i said i think a lot of coaches miss because you know CrossFit's great. Olympic lifting's got a big surge because of CrossFit. But, you know, USA weightlifting and CrossFit, I think, have one big problem on both is there's a lot of people who really aren't coaches. 
just because you open up a gym, just because you get a level one in either one of them. Yeah, which is a weekend seminar. A weekend seminar. And even getting level two in, you know, Olympic lifting, I'm not as familiar with it with CrossFit. I think you have to be in for two years before you can sit for it. I, I, I just don't know. I, I have no, no idea. That's the only thing I know about it. With the level two, though, in, in Olympic lifting especially, you have to have national lifters registered under you, which I've experienced if the head coach – takes them and has them as his number one instead of you as the number one, you don't get your national lifters, even though, you know, I was extremely pivotal in the reason that, you know, we had a podium finisher at the American Open, but she wasn't my lifter technically. I was her second coach. And I think that needs to be revamped a little bit because do I think that the USA level two coaches are better than me? Absolutely not. I don't care how arrogant that sounds. I will go toe to toe with you any day of the week and I will beat you. And I know I will. I don't care that I'm a kid. And I think that's part of my little bit of a chip on the shoulder is they still view me as a kid where it's like, you know, I got 20 years under my belt already when you don't. And it's like, I also got a lot more coaching. And then I've also got the sciences of the coaching. So it's like, you know, I can see it at the base level where a lot of people can't. And they're not, they're not trained to do that. And they're going to be like, well, you were trained. It's like, yeah, I was trained in biomechanics. You know, I wasn't trained in the specifics to one sport by one teacher. I was trained to see the whole picture. Yeah. And he happened to be one of the best in the world at biomechanics. He's the only one with two methods. There's a qualitative and a quantitative method. My professor had, had a method on each side, and he's, there's six methods per each. And he was one, the only person in the world. So I learned under one of the best. So I'll put my chops up against anybody. But that's the other thing, too, because people are like, well, I have a level two. And Olympic lifting, I'm like, yeah, I don't give a shit. Like, okay, let's find twins. Let's find two athletes who are exactly the same, and I will, will give me six months, and my lifter's going to be better than yours. You know, so I wish there was a little bit less of a, a procedure. Not, not that I'm not for a vetting process, but less of a political kind of angle to it. Because like I said, if you're you're under somebody who, for whatever reason, I mean, in, in Dan's defense, he had his reasons for keeping some of those lifters under him, and a couple of them I didn't want under me for various personal reasons or, you know, we butted heads or, you know, the lifter and I were not compatible, whatever it may be. So I understand that. It's just, you know, if I put in the trench work and the time to be a level two coach, absolutely. Do I have my level two? No. Do I care? Not really. Uh, I, you know, I mean, you'll get there. I mean, that's the thing. It's, you know, I got bigger fish to fry. You got other things going on right now. Well, and I'm looking more at, you know, going back for a PhD sometime in the, you know, near future. So that's more of my focus because I love Olympic lifting. I love coaching CrossFit, but do you make money off of it? It supplements some of my income, but no, (laughs) you know. Yeah, there's some money to be made, but it's hard to make a living. Well, and that's the thing, you know, like we pointed out earlier about these famous people. There's some people that have barbell clubs and go do clinics and they sell out constantly because they're good at social media. Got news for you. They suck ass as coaches. Yeah. They're not even they're not good. They're not even now, close. If now granted, if the person who's a crossfitter wants to go to one of those and they want to have a good time and have a fun weekend and say they train with somebody, go have fun, light it up. If you want to get some real coaching, there's like three coaches I could think of that I would want to send you to, and that's about it. Well, and that's the that's the other thing too, you know, as far as what I've dealt with and seen in the sport and stuff, there is there's there's a lot of clubs now. There's even more than there was before. But in actuality, there's, you know, a handful of coaches that based on, and it's not the writings or the promotions or any of that other stuff. You know, there's some of these, there's some coaches out there that write great articles that all us other coaches are thinking, but at the same time, I'll watch the lifters and go, yeah, that's wrong. Stop. So 
it, it is. It's very. It's very tough because it's kind of like you know boxing or MMA. You know, you can find people that might have been in the ring or think they're coaches when they're not students of the game. And a lot of, I'd say, a lot of the newer crop of coaches I've dealt with, they're arrogant pricks. To be completely honest, <laughs> they think it's you know the old timers need to get out and they're the young bucks. And I'm kind of sitting there going. Those old guys are still schooling you guys I say, I learned under those old guys, and they taught me a lot. And those old guys can still whoop your ass any day of the week. And I'm kind of like, you know, and that's the thing. Like, you know, the in, I basically interned under two coaches where a lot of people don't. And, you know, you wonder why you kind of end up with a lot of bad technique and lifters and stuff. Because just because somebody's talented, you know or they have talented lifters, it could be marketing. And that's the thing with, you know, a lot of these people that sell out, you know, these clinics, they do one a month and they make eight or nine grand. And it's like, yeah, you're good at social media, but I've watched you, you know, do the scarecrow, which by the way, if you bring that up in one of my classes, I will not be very happy with you because that is bullshit technique. (laughs) So, but a lot of people teach the old scarecrow. It's like, what are my arms extended? I'm going to be covered in hay. Like that's not an Olympic lifting technique. You know, some of some of the verbiage needs revamped. You know, not every cue is going to work for everybody, but you know, there's certain cues and techniques that they try to teach as part of warm ups. They're like, "Oh, we all do the Bergner warm up. Oh, the jump and shrug that I have to fix. Thank yeah, you." Yeah, the problem that's most CrossFitters lifts. I'm like, "Oh, the jump and shrug's my my fan favorite. I love that." And, and you know, the thing is, is, I just try to address it and fix it. But uh, you know, they the Bergner method. I've worked at tons of gyms, and they're all they always start off with Bergner because Bergner got connected with CrossFit. I met Mike; he's a nice guy. Some of the things he does in his warm up exacerbate the problems they already have beyond almost repair. Yeah. I mean, I've been able to fix it for the most part, but then I'm just constantly dealing with some of those things. It's like the there's active and passive, and I think you know when I read some of the stuff that Don posted. I agreed with it because I read it for what it really was. There was there wasn't some acknowledgement I think towards active and passive, and I think that's where people miss. And you know, yeah, he, you know, if he listens to this, Don, you know, I I do have high high respect for you. You're a phenomenal coach and a good dude. You know, I, I really like you a lot. That's why he's one of the best in the country. He is, but like I wish he would have said passive versus active because he did talk about a shrug. There's a difference. The guy's pulling from their fist more. They're not actually pulling from their trap. That's completely different movement. So, you know, but when you're going down under the bar, your shoulder does come up, making it appear more like, you know, your trap is tight, but you're not actually shrugging from it. Yeah. And I think, you know, passive versus active with the feet and the toes and movement and some of the things they kind of miss on. So, you know, I've this far in my life, I've gotten by because I see things people miss. You know, that's why people come to me. And that's why I'm usually like a last ditch effort a lot of times, like you need to fix my weight or you need to fix this because no one else has been able to. And I'm like, well, it's this, this, and this. They're like, how did you know that already? I go, it's like I said, it's, it's that years freak and years ability of being of, in there and just, just picking it up faster and just knowing what you do. Well, and it's just, you just have to look. Yeah. It's like, I can see like, the other week I had a girl, her jerk foot was wrong. This is the third or fourth time I've dealt with that where, you know, they just don't look comfortable, you know, but they're like, oh, I swear I'm this way. And even and this one was a rarity where you do the push test, which is kind of fun. If you're looking to figure out what somebody's jerk foot is, have no, them... can't, don't give them the secret. Don't, don't give them the secret. secret? Okay. This is coaching secrets. Okay. <laughs> the push test, though, we'll just call it that. But, uh, you know, the foot, the right foot came out, which was, or the left foot came out, which is what they were doing, but they just looked super uncomfortable. I was like, well, what hand are you? Are you right or left handed? And the person said, well, I'm kind of ambidextrous. And I go, eh, okay, switch feet. She goes, what? And I go, switch feet. Three jerks later, her foot position was money. And it's those little idiosyncrasies that you, like, I just see. 
you know, even though, okay, by all standard kind of tests and things we've done, she should be, a, you know, a right foot forward jerker. And then it was like, switch to left. Let's see what happens. And it was boom. And the people who were in class with me were like, that's money. I go, yeah, it, it, you know, because they were watching her because she was being a goofball, which was fun. It made class fun. But she's like, no, I, I swear this is the right foot. I'm like, try it. See what happens. And it's like all of a sudden just whap, and she's like, what was that? And I go, oh, <laughs> uh, what a jerk supposed to feel like. Well, that's the thing. It's just one of those things where, you know, I just happened to, to see it. Did, you know, like I said, I went through some of the, the normal kind of testing to figure it out, which would say, well, it's that foot. But I was still like, nah, switch. Yeah, it's like that that instinct, you know, that that kind of the propensity, like I said before. So that's those are the kind of things that always, you know, confirm what I already knew. They kind of just, you know, keep adding to the resume of like, you know, I can pick up things that a lot of other people miss. This particular work person has worked with other coaches, good coaches in the area, and they didn't see it. And that's fine. You know, I'm not gonna see everything, but you know, I like I said before, variables. I try to limit down all the variables I'm missing. And I was able to figure it out real quick. And it only took me five minutes. So, and since then they're like, wow, you know, I can't believe my position is that much better. And it's like, mm-hmm. that's shocker how that works. Yeah. It's like, Oh, so what kind of uh, things you got coming up in, here in the near future, Mike? So, you know, I'm going, I'm going for a college visit. First time I've done that. And actually ever, cause the university I went to, my parents worked at, so didn't really need to visit it. I already knew that place pretty well. Okay. So I'm headed over to the uh, University of Illinois. I'm very excited. Uh, you know, hopefully it's a, a good visit because I would potentially like to go there for a doctorate work. And, you know, they have they have two PhDs I'm looking at. One's in human nutrition. The other one would be in kinesiology, I believe, but it'd be kind of like kinesiology exercise phys. So, you know, I'm going to meet with the, the professor and, and the team, the research team and stuff. And, you know, it'll it'll be fun. I'm looking forward to it. Just even based on the emails. You know, doctor, his name's Dr. Nick Bird. Seems like a great guy. He's come highly recommended by my mentor, you know, who was like, this This guy knows his, his stuff. And, and actually, too, I was starting to dig into some of the research he's done. He's done a lot of uh, sports protein research, which is very, very good information. So, but it seems like a, you know, really, you know, chill kind of fun guy and, you know, very inviting and very polite. And, you know, so I'm very, very excited for that because hopefully I'd like to start that the next year because, you know, it's going to take four or five years minimum, you know, to get an actual doctorate. So that's probably the biggest thing on the horizon right now okay. is focusing on that. So that's a pretty big step. Yeah. You know, a couple of certification tests coming up. Not that I heavily agree with a lot of them. I don't, but you know, a lot of jobs want them. So get this, it. This Just, is very true. Uh, some you got to get that piece of paper, whether it's useless or not. People look for it because they don't realize that it's useless. Well, and that's the thing. I've been lucky so far that since I've had my master's, that's kind of counted instead of the piece of paper, which it should because weekend certifications versus, you know, two years of advanced college are not really a fair comparison. Not exactly. No. So, yeah, I got a couple of those coming up. So, you know, I'm excited and just kind of revamping and, you know, kind of getting ready because I know the big season for the business is coming up, you know, the beginning of the year. And, you know, usually late fall, you catch a, a good little wave of people right before the holidays because, you know, they're kind of wanting to get in a little bit of shape before the holidays. Yeah, because they're probably going to gain some weight during the holidays. Which, hey, you know what? I mean, Christmas cookies are delicious. I'm not. I'm human, okay? Just because I do nutrition for a living does not mean I don't, you know, enjoy a cookie during the holidays or Friendsgiving or Thanksgiving and stuff. But, you know, it's one of those things you got to plan accordingly. So it's not a binge the whole week leading up to Thanksgiving. It's, 
Have a nice yeah. dinner. Go enjoy yourself and then get back on track. Back on track the next day. Yep, exactly. So that's kind of the single serve idea is, you know, eat all you're going to eat. And then when your parents want to say, hey, do you want to take leftovers? I follow up with no. <laughs> no. Get, get them away from me. I already wore sweatpants over here, okay? <laughs> I just like to be comfortable on Thanksgiving. That's all. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure. So where can uh, people go to find out more about who you are and what you do, Mike? So there's a couple of different areas you can go to. MikeTheStrongMan.com. You know, there's a tab where you can contact me on there. Mike, the strongman at Gmail is my email address. And then the other one, if you're looking more towards the prep kind of area, that's teamsculpted.com. There's also a contact area and both those emails come to me. So, you know, those are the biggest ones. And then on Instagram, it's just at Mike Olympic for my just kind of normal one. And then for, you know, team sculpted, it's team sculpted on, on Instagram. So, you know, I don't, <laughs> I have a Twitter. I just don't tweet very much. So I like the Tweety Brady machine. Yeah, right? I'm kind of old school. You know, I post pictures of sometimes the client development and stuff throughout. But, you know, I prefer more grassroots than anything. I, I am not going to I'm not going to whore myself out. Good. You know, I, I think that's part of my niche in itself is the fact that everyone else is whoring themselves out. But then when people find me, I'm kind of a hidden gem. And I, I kind of like it that way because the clients who have found me over the last, you know, couple of years and stuff, I mean, Almost every single one of them has been awesome. Even if it's just for a month, they've usually been very receptive. They've been, you know, very good at communicating. Some of them after, you know, that run was up have become close friends. So, you know, my posing coach for bikini started as a, a client competitor of mine. And then she's phenomenal at posing. And then we partnered up and stuff. And we've been, you know, very close friends ever since. Love her to death. Her and her husband are awesome people. So, you know, it's, it's fun. You know, I got to have fun with it and you know, keep people interested. And so I definitely, you know, I enjoy that. I have good clients and good people I get to work with like, mm. like yourself. I mean, well, thanks, always have Mike. a good time. So it's always, it's always fun. So I, I greatly appreciate you coming over to redo this since I screwed up the first time. This is actually a lot more fun. Oh, absolutely. I think the second time around the first time we were both a little stressed and it was, it was tough to get through, but I think this was a lot better content as well. Oh, absolutely. And I've, I've got the other one saved. So maybe some other day we can do like a, a point oh five or a point five episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little half a little like filling. release it like uh christmas or something like that but nonetheless so i greatly appreciate your conversation i had a lot of fun absolutely no it's a great time can't wait to come back so. all right well thanks mike so all right well that's it for today so you guys uh hopefully you enjoyed yourself as much as we did you know here in the studio which is my living room at the moment it's super fancy and uh we'll uh, catch you guys later All right, if you guys are still with us, I appreciate it. This podcast has been a lot of fun. It's been a labor of love. I love listening to podcasts, and I was really looking forward to kind of doing my own and just hanging out with the people that I love and having some great conversations. And I want to just have an open format where it didn't matter where things went or what we talked about. There, there was no scripts. There was no agenda. We're not trying to sell you a bunch of things and leave you with cliffhangers. And we're just, we're just going to have a great time. We're going to have some fun. And hopefully you guys will enjoy it as much as I know I will. So stay tuned. we got some big podcasts coming up soon that you guys are really going to enjoy. And I look forward to talking to you guys later.